broadcasting before and probably after the rapture. It's the Drew Marshall Show. Everybody now. Even you, Tim. Now, thanks a lot from Alex. No, can't hear her. She's in the corner. I think Jesus is just all right. I've seen these guys three times in concert. I love it. And I think one of the reasons I love it is the percussions, you know, are right out there. Do they there. have two drummers? Yeah, two drum sets. Right. Yeah. They used to have a whole bunch of crazy, crazy percussionists. As you say, cray-cray. Cray-cray? Like the congas and the marimbas. Awesome. And the awesome sauce. Congos and stuff, but now they just have two drummers. I, I, I had uh, rice pudding with one of the drummers once. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Is that some sort of secret code for something? <laughs> Trudeau's trying to bring that stuff in, is he? <laughs> we need more rice pudding at our tables. Dude, you know where I can score some rice pudding? <laughs> Man, how about some tapioca, dude? <laughs> Love the tapioca, that. <laughs> Jamie Blade is the author of Midnight Jesus, Where Struggle, Faith, and Grace Collide. He is back on the Drew Marshall Show for a second time. How did that happen? How did we let him... Uh, Back in here like this. That's just trace pudding. <laughs> Jamie, how you doing, man? I'm good, brother. I'm hoping that you call me back to talk about the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, baby. So good. They got to be one of the better, like uh, all time lasting bands. Their tunes. What do you think? The Doobie Brothers are actually in my new book. Come on. Imagine. Imagine that. What it's page? I'm going to. I'm going to. What page? I don't know right offhand, but it's in there. Oh, yeah. okay. You must be psychic or so, something. That I am a sidekick, that's for sure. Ah! Um, <clears throat> dude, what is? Oh, you just seem to be the guy in the in the alleys, the guy, the creepy guy in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, brother, that's my call. That's me. <laughs> it's three a.m. in the side yard of a shack in the worst part of town. I've got a dirty face, baby on my hip, and there's a pit bull standing on the septic tank in the next yard over, barking his head off. My patient sits on the hood of her ex-husband's lowrider, smoking a Salem cigarette and dumping her Valium into a mud hole by the right front tire. Airbrushed across the hood of the car is a cross-eyed Jesus with open arms. She lays her hand on top of his as the still-hot engine ticks. Through tears, she pleads, Help me, Jesus. Please. Those are Elvis's last words, apparently, according to Larry Norman. The dog is silent. Sirens approach. Just breathe, I tell her. Everything's going to be all right. The baby fidgets, resting her head against me. Staring up into my eyes, I raise one finger, and she holds it tight. I fumble for the words again. Just breathe. Who starts a book like that? Come on! <laughs> Me and Raymond Carver. So, listen, I've got so many questions, and, um, you know, the, the first thing is... Can, you know, I, can I say this real quick? Yeah, I but, wish we would have gotten you to read the audio book. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm pretty... I'm pretty uh, Oh, good. my gosh, man. You, you did that much better than I did. Thank you. Thank you very much. See, Tim, I'm not useless. No, but sure, your, your, you say? your headphones aren't fitting anymore. <laughs> your head's getting so huge Stop right it. now. Stop it. <laughs> so listen, you know, last time you were on the show, you know, we talked about stories of the dark and people, yeah. people with dark hearts searching for light, people who are mm-hmm. stuck, 
people who are outsiders, people who are the least of these. And it dawned on me today that people don't understand that phrase, the least of these. Uh, you want to preach that for me, please? Uh, I don't like that phrase either. I had that conversation with um, with an evangelical press here about a month ago, and I said, I'm really not fond of using that. I said, you know, I said, I'm the least of these too, brother. I said, I'm not, who am I to call anybody else the least of these? So. I don't know if you want to call it maybe lost in translation or, or whatever, but it's not something I use a lot either, unless I'm referring to myself. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, it, uh, it, that's that's you know, it's like uh, what's the other um, uh, the world? That's the other phrase I I have a disdain for the world. You know, you know, you know how the world thinks, right? The world. Yeah, it's, because the world is everybody in the world who doesn't believe in Jesus is wrong. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? I don't even believe in Jesus. <laughs> yeah. uh, if I may quote that great prophet Lionel Richie, brother, we are the world. <laughs> nice. Nice. I well, thought he was going to start singing hello or something. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> or Brickhouse. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guess what? Brickhouse is in the book, too. Stop it. Oh. Stop it. I know him. He's been there twice. He's been there twice. So... How do you describe yourself to people when you're sitting on on a seat beside them in the plane? Mm, um, I'm that guy that used to be the DJ at the skating rink. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. You, you don't want to tell anybody on a plane that you're any kind of therapist or counselor or anything because then you're stuck with them. Yeah, yeah. Has that ever yeah. happened? Have you ever told people that you're a shrink or something or what? You know, into the mental health no, thing? No, 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 brother. No, on an airplane? Are you kidding? No, I know. It's it's like uh, the only time I ever told people, like when I used to be a pastor, don't tell anybody that because I get, I get letters when people find out that I used to be a pastor. And, uh, but one time I flew back from Australia and I thought just as a social experiment, I'm going to fly home with the dog collar on, right? With the, with the, priest, the preacher collar, the white collar thing. Yeah. And uh, boy, it was weird, man. I mean, I got really pleasant eye contact from people and then avoidance. That's what it was. It was like pleasantries I'm good with, but I don't want to sit with you or talk with you or engage with you. So, same thing. You know, I will tell you this. I've had some really deep conversations with people on airplanes and in different places, and at some point they'll go, man, I'm telling you stuff I've never told anybody before. And yeah. What do you do again? And, you know, I'll tell them I'm in, like the night stalker at the grocery store or something. <laughs> so, um... The best, most hurtingest, I can't believe I'm, I, I can even recount this story. That you, I, I just want you to drop the best story on us. Best story. Go. The best hurting story? Yeah, the best. I can't believe that. That's the kind of person you just in, interacted with. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, I was sitting with a guy in his cutlass in the car wash, and he was schizophrenic, and we talked for about an hour. And That's a long car wash. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't have any quarters or anything, so we were just sitting <laughs> in the bay. And um, <clears throat> I was sitting there in the front seat of his car, man. We're talking. I'm just doing my thing. I've been out on a bunch of calls. Everything seems like it's cool. We're wrapping it up. I'm going to get this guy on over to the emergency room. We're going to get him admitted. And um, at one point, he reaches over into the pocket there in the side of the, uh, of the door, and he pulls out about this 15-inch butcher knife. And he said, I just want to give you something. And so I reach in my coat pocket for my pistol, but he's holding it by the blade, and he hands it to me, and he says, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with this when you showed up. He said, but I know what I'm going to do now. He said, I want you to keep this, take it home with you. So, hey, man, what do you do with that, you know? Man, well, my first question is, you got a pistol? 
You better have a pistol. <laughs> uh, after that, I went and got another one. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little Derringer. Um, what are you? What are you packing? You got a little Glock or a little Smith and Wesson? Uh, no, I got I got a thirty eight revolver. Okay. All right. You know, our cops had thirty eights for a hundred years. Like it, yeah. it wasn't that long ago to, that they changed over from thirty eights to uh, to the Glocks. Crazy, huh? You know, I went out for a long time, just totally. You know, hey, let's say a prayer, let's trust. Let's, but you know, man, once I got to a certain point, I think this would really be wise if I just carried this just in case. And yeah. thank God I've never had to use it. You know, so. Well, that brings up an. Gee, we got to talk about your book here in a second, but uh, <laughs> that brings up a point. <laughs> You know, uh, oh, yeah. I, I remember uh, reporting on Benny Hinn one year, and his bodyguards are like the front line from the Dallas Cowboys, and they were talking into their wrists, and they were eyeballing me, and they approached me at one of his crusades because I wasn't standing up. When, they put me in the booster section. That was dumb, first of all. And then when I wasn't standing up, I was sitting down making notes and stuff. They came right up to me. Brother came up to me and went, what are you writing? And I look. I was. I was ticked, man. I was just. So I stared him down and said, "Notes." And as he went, "It's okay. All right. Just relax." Uh, he moved his jacket, and I saw. His, I saw his gun. And I, you know, there was a part of me that went, "Really? You're Benny freaking Hinn? First of all, I know your miracles aren't real because if they were real, you'd be able to fix your hair. And secondly, uh. you got to have brothers packing heat to protect you. I, you know, I. I don't. I don't know. I don't get that, but. I'm not him, and, uh, and know, I'm not you. You know, you attract such an unstable element. So, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have even said that on the radio, that I back a pistol, but you said tell a story, and that's the first one that came to my mind. But, man, you know, you, you just, you got to protect yourself. So Yeah, no, I don't, you know, I'm not I'm not getting all judgy on you, because, you know, believe me, I don't put you in the category of Benny Hinn. <laughs> you have much nicer hair, first of all. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So why why is um like what are you hoping the I hate this question but I'm going to ask you anyway. What are you hoping the impact right. of your book is going to be? Is it is it really just to help people lighten up about oh, the weirdos and the in the fringe? Yeah, you know to a certain degree um you know, I mean it's it's almost a cliche these days but it's a good one. There is no us and them. It's all us. There is no least of these, those people. We're all those people. We're all the least of these. Uh, you know, so, man, I hope that people would read, you know, just this ragged little misfit book that's not by a preacher or a motivational speaker or somebody trying to sell you some program to fix your life. And, you know, man, I just hope it makes people think deep and, and maybe laugh and just see things a little bit differently. And, you know, but just in the dark, lonely places, brother, we're all so much the same, man. And there's hope in that, I think. I, I don't want you to feel bad. You mentioned this. I'm still thinking about it, about bringing up the gun, because if I was doing what you're doing and rolling where you're rolling, I'd be packing heat, too. So don't get – I'm not some – no, really, don't get me wrong. I'm not some tree-hugging, you know, kumbaya guy here. So uh, anyway, moving on from that, uh, I want to talk about one chapter in your book. This this title kind of grabbed me right away, and so please help me uh, get this. Wait, okay. wait. Of all the chapter titles, which one do you think I'm going to hunker down into now? Uh, there's so many, I can't imagine. Okay, Jumbo Thin Mint and the John Dice Chimp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one. <laughs> I wanted chapter titles that caught people's attention, and you, you see, you wouldn't forget that. So. Yeah, but what? Okay, you, you got to hook us into this. Like, tease us, man. What's this? What that chapter about? I haven't read that one. Oh, so, 
um, this is when I'm working with church, working with ministry, and so they asked me onto the local Christian television station, which at the time I thought was this, you know, wow, this is what an honor. I'm going to be on TV. But, you know, they've got a like a live three-hour show on five nights a week, so they are pretty desperate for content you know, people to have on TV. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, and then to boot, they like stack me in the last hour. So, you know, I'm not really in the hot hot position there. <laughs> So, um, and man, the host, God bless him, man. He was just this huge guy wearing a girdle, and you could see the girdle through his shirt. He's got this bad toupee on, and he, he's wearing this, he's wearing a black shirt and a green tie and a mint green jacket. And I'm sitting there sweating under these TV lights thinking, this guy looks like a big, thin man. Uh, yep. And, you know, and I started, I don't have a real good filter, you know, because I've been hitting the head so many times. I almost said it on TV. I, hey, brother, you look like a jumbo thing. And, uh, but I was able to at least edit myself from that. But uh, then, like, a week later when I went and got my hair cut, <clears throat> my hairdresser said, hey, I saw you on TV. I said, cool. I said, how did I look? And she said, you look like a jaundiced chimp. Jaundiced <laughs> <laughs> chimp. Uh, there we go. Now I get it all. Beautiful. You know, this is why I like your writing is because, um, and it says this in the back of your pitch stuff here, but I actually agree with it. Jesus makes an invisible cameo in every story of yours. Your your incarnational, unintentional Jesus stuff is so mm, natural. You know, it's just so. It's just a good read. Just a good, good read. Oh, we, oh, we got to talk about Cat, the tattooed hairdresser who uh, dreams about Jesus and longs for spiritual connection, who shows that you can't judge a book by its cover. Oh, brother, love her, love her. She was my hairdresser. She's the one who told me I look like a jaundiced chimp. <laughs> she had no filter, man. Don't you love people that just say whatever on their mind? Yep. I mean, I trust people like that. And you know, uh, she was a. She said she was an agnostic, but she was probably a better. She was definitely a better Christian-hearted and, and attitude person than I was, so who am I to judge? But, um, you know, sometimes it was just me and her in the shop. She would talk to me, and she would tell me about her struggles with belief. And uh, this one day, she, you know, we went out back so she could smoke a cigarette, and she told me she had this crazy dream about Jesus, and it was the first time that she'd ever thought about Jesus where he wasn't mad at her. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is real cool. Folks, we're on the phone with Jamie Blaine. He's the author of Midnight Jesus, where struggle, faith, and grace collide. Do you think that uh, non-churchy people actually get grace more than churchy people? Yeah, sometimes. Absolutely. I've often wondered about that. By the way, folks, uh, we're giving away a copy of Midnight Jesus on our Facebook page in partnership with HCC Faith. That's HarperCollins Canada Faith Books. So you want to go to our Facebook page to find out more about this. And uh, Jamie Blaine is the guy who um, spends most of his life in the mud. That's kind of why I like this guy. Um, can you tell me a little bit about Skeeter and Wookie? Because... Yeah, I gotta just love guys with those names, Skeeter and Wookie. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, Skeeter was this guy. Uh, this was when I was working at this mega church, and I was at the counseling center, and I wasn't doing real good at the counseling center, so they sort of let me do some outreach stuff. And um, Skeeter was this old homeless guy that lived out in the woods, and they called him Skeeter because he said he could he could live outside, and the mosquitoes would never bite him. So he had some sort of magical power or something. Um. But anyway, and you know, I just hung out with him, and, and he was—he um, asked if I would come out to his house sometime. So 
so I went, and it was just this tarp out in the woods. But, man, we sat around his fire, and we had good fellowship, and it was real, and we laughed, and it was down to earth. And he's the one that introduced me to Wookie. And Wookie was this guy in the book I described. He looked like a cross between Willie Nelson and Larry Bird. You know, he's like seven foot tall and like 120 pounds, and he's got this big beard and this big hair. So I guess he looked like Chewbacca. So they called him Wookie. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, man, it just God keeps introducing me to these people, and so I'm just I roll I roll with it, brother. But how do you maintain your your faith? Because when you hang around with people whose whose lives are are just filled with more hurt than love, do you not? look upwards and and with your with the wrong finger pointed up does that ever happen yeah every day every day uh you know i would love to tell you something different but it wouldn't be the truth so man i you know i question every day but there is something undeniable that happens at rock bottom that man can just be beautiful sometimes i mean i've gotten so much grace from people at the bottom and there's no pretense man there's people are not pretending when they're at that absolute rock bottom. So you have conversations that are of real value, and you see another side of life, man. And so, you know, in some ways it uh, screws up my faith, but, man, more than that, it is, it's helped. I think it's made my faith a lot richer. Um, I hope, you know, I hope. Tim, what do you think this? it would be like to hang out with this guy? Well, he's got more hair than both of us. Stop it. He's got, uh, he's got, a, lovely, he's got a lovely set of hair. It's awesome. Set of hair? Uh. <laughs> set of hair. No, I, I'd be thrilled, uh, mostly because uh, he'd probably buy the beers. Um, <laughs> and we'd have to be nice to him because we know he's packing heat. But, no, I definitely he's, he's definitely one of us, you know. Uh, you know, I don't want to use, like, the political terms, but definitely left of the – you know, of the of the normalcy of, of what faith is, I think, and what people traditionally view faith as. Because um, you and I are there, too. Like, we, we dig the the dark side. We dig the confusing side. We dig the fact that, you know, nothing is perfect and everybody else pretends that it is. I drive from jails to bridge rails, backwoods hospitals, and run-down trailer parks in the middle of the night, meeting people on their worst days in their worst of places I don't have enough grace or faith or patience to handle this job on my own, so I made a deal with Jesus. And wherever I go, he rides along with me. Because the truth is, most times I don't have a clue what to say or do, other than to show up and simply listen to whatever story a person needs to tell. I'm a uh, chaplain at the hospital, and what worries me most about chaplains, uh, aside from how old most of them are, <laughs> is... Uh, is that it? Just seem they just seem to be people who just want to chat. They just want to chat, and they 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 chat to trapped people in hospitals that can't leave the bed or leave the hospital. And I I just hope I don't become one of those. I just want to I want to be available. I want to poke people enough so that they they open up and and then shut up and listen. Right? I mean, I know I host a talk show and it's part of my job to ramble, but man, I love to shut up and listen. And I think that's what you're on about too, man. Well, I discovered it by accident. Um, you know, the truth was I was not smart enough, I was not spiritual enough, and I was not confident enough about my abilities to do anything except shut up and listen. And you know what? Ironically, that's what works. Hmm. Jamie Blaine on the Drew Marshall Show. Dude, thanks for coming back. Again, the book is called Midnight Jesus, the late-night psychiatric crisis guy, Jamie Blaine. Uh, Midnight Jesus, where struggle, faith, and grace collide and uh, again, just a little heads up, we're giving away a copy of Midnight Jesus on our Drew Marshall Show Facebook page in partnership with HarperCollins Canada Faith Books. 
So uh, you want to go to our Facebook page, The Drew Marshall Show. Uh, we're going to post a pic of me holding that book up there, and that's exciting right there, folks. That's why you want to go to our Facebook page is to see that picture. Yes, indeed. Jamie, dude, um, I wish you the best. I actually hope you. that you are you are surrounded by some kind of spiritual safety. I don't even know what that means anymore, but I don't want you to get screwed up is what I'm saying. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. And, um, man, I hope we get to do it a third time because yeah. I always enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. You take care, man. You too, brother. Take right. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I, you know, it's funny. Every time I talk to somebody with the 615 area code, I... All of a sudden, a little something-something comes over my voice. Yeah, it's like when we're talking Irishman as Scotsman. It's, it's, I diddly dee. <laughs> I diddly dee. How are you today? That was hilarious. Angus is, Scott, is Irish. <laughs> Angus Reed is Irish. Man, how embarrassing. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. All right, listen, a short break. When we come back, Candace Cameron Bure. She's the co-host of The View. DJ Tanner on Full House and Fuller House and finalist on Dancing with the Stars. Man, she's just gotten really pretty. Yeah, she's aged very, very, very very well. I hope Val hears this. (laughs) While climbing the world-famous Lower Weeping Wall in Banff National Park, Peter Panagor succumbed to extreme exhaustion and hypothermia and died. As the sun set on what was supposed to be a one-day climb, Peter was revived only minutes later, convinced that heaven is beautiful. Imagine a mix of heaven is for real and a twist of into thin air, and you'll have heaven is beautiful, a true account of the struggle between the fullness of heaven and what draws us back to earth. As much a wilderness thriller as a spiritual memoir, heaven is beautiful is both an adventure on earth and in heaven, but ultimately it's a journey of hope. 